Loudspeaker Studios. to discuss different trauma movies with a special guest and today i'm gonna do something a little bit different the show is called talking trauma after all and when my guests called and asked if they could come on i thought talking trauma would be the perfect subject we're gonna talk about our lives in traumaville trauma movies and what it's like working on a trauma set she's one of the stars of my film adam the amazing zombie killer and one of the stars of Return to Newcomb High and Return to Return to Newcomb High, a.k.a. Volume 2. She's a good friend, Babette Bombshell. But first, I'm going to play the trailer for Return to Newcomb High, Volume 1. Let's listen. Let me take you back. Back to where it all began. To a small town in New Jersey. The Tromaville Nuclear Power Plant has been bulldozed to make way for Tromorganic Foodstuffs, Inc. What could go wrong? Now look, laddie, I want my ultra-cheap foodstuffs in every school in New Jersey at inflated prices. That is the basis of our plan, and you know it. Uh, help! <laughs> There's a blogger out there by the name of Lettuce Lover 69 and they run the blog called Pollution Nerds. Brown-nosing little rich girl late for intramural ping pong. I love you, Kevin. I know you'll never leave. By the way, 
Excelsior. All right, here we are with Babette Bombshell, the plus-size goddess of gore, on the Talk and Troma podcast. Thanks for joining us, Babette. I couldn't be happier to be here. This is such an exciting moment. Well, for you, for you, for starters, and for Troma. I, I, you know, I'm so glad you started doing this podcast. During the pandemic, it made me realize how much I appreciate those movies when you're sitting around watching the same old bullshit over and over. Right. It's like, you know, I love these trauma movies. And then, then you kind of see everyone like, like sticking to the main Toxic Avengers and stuff like that. And, and you realize how many trauma stories there are out there. And Oh my God, I... the catalog, <laughs> the catalog is enormous of these trauma movies. And okay, so we'll start right out. Okay. <laughs> Since I'm of an elder generation, I'm going to go right back to talking about, um, see, see, I am really a point and click guest. See how easy this is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to go right back and I'm going to talk about trauma and what it was like during, um, during when, when video first started happening. Because when video first started happening, it was a revolution. People don't understand today. If you missed something, on tv you missed it forever there was no square source of like the library of congress for you to go and look up shit so it was so if you missed something you missed it so vcrs and being able to tape stuff was a it's very own advent okay so everybody already had the technology because they were taping stuff they didn't want to miss and then movie distribution happened first by beta and then later by VHS. And the reason why it went VHS rather than beta is because of the porn industry. Because the first thing anybody wanted to watch when they're home alone, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> porn immediately took off. But they weren't sure if, because the movies cost so much on VHS, the industry was slow to, um, slow to adapt to it. So uh, the, the prices of movies were outrageously huge. So then suddenly there comes along this independent film company and trauma was the first independent film company to really prove that the market was viable in all of these video stores and um, video stores were an amazing thing. Cause you'd go and you'd, you'd get two or three videos to last you the whole week. And if they weren't there, you would eventually build up these fictional relationships with people who rented the same movies as you did and you knew <laughs> who had shit and who returned it quicker and did Yeah. But it was an amazing time period. But Troma with the Toxic Avenger was the first one to really prove that um that you could go after mom and pop video video market, which was all there was back then, and really be successful that way. And that's where Troma was really, really successful. But they, they sent out posters. They sent out promotional stuff. That's what made the difference and that why Troma was around and none of the other independent companies were because they didn't send out promotional stuff. Troma did. Troma flooded these little shops with posters. Um, I had one from Redneck Zombies that hung on my, <laughs> uh, on my room's wall for forever. And I, and I fixated on Redneck Zombies. That movie is pretty funny too because you know, if you look at the movies that are coming out today, if that was made in, you know, 2021, nobody would bat an eye, but you know, back in 1989, when that movie came out, it's, you know, shot on video, you know, low budget special effects. And it, it like changed the landscape of, Oh, anybody can make a movie. 
and being a, a zombie horror comedy, which was not, no, people didn't do that. That was, that was kind of a new thing where you go, wow, there's this like a horror comedy with zombies. And Pericles Lewis was the director in that one. He was just, and he played the, uh, the kind of lead, <laughs> like what was his name? Daisy May was his name of his character, I think. But he yeah. was this r- really hairy guy <laughs> who was this hillbilly <laughs> in overalls. And uh, yeah, he's in another one too. Immediately after that, he was attached to trauma for a while. Yeah, he did a lot of the special that. effects in like the Toxic Avenger sequels and trauma. Yeah, and even Kabuki Man. So, yeah, he's pretty amazing. I, I tried to try, tried to catch up with him. He still lives in Baltimore. Uh, well, this was this was like ten years ago when I when I tried to track him down to see what he was doing, and he had done a, um, a short on, that had to do with time, and it was. Uh, Kind Loop, of like, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it, that's it. But yeah, yeah so I, I tried to keep in touch with him, but you know, you lose people's uh, contact stuff. If if he's listening, I definitely want him to come on the show because he has probably has a wealth of stories from those early movies that no one has heard. Yeah, I want him to come on the show, and I also want him to come on my face because he's a really cute guy. <laughs> <laughs> He, he's very bristly. Yeah, he's, he's a little berry guy. I think he's adorable. Yeah. Do you remember oh, by, by the? the way, I, I I should ask. Like it's I I just totally I apologize for upping the rating. I forgot this is a, this is a YouTubey thing. Okay. No, you can you can say whatever you want. All right, good because it's on trauma, so we're gonna we're gonna go there anyway. But exactly, yeah. I I don't I don't understand how YouTube flags stuff. I don't I I don't think they can see the see the nipples right now so there. well and you know i i kind of for a long time i, I was filled i Zach, hold my hand i was filled with doubt i was filled with um i didn't want to upset people or be politically incorrect but then you kind of after you've gotten like the hundredth death threat from a social justice warrior <laughs> you realize you know what my audience the audience that i aim at you know i say in a great grandiose way it doesn't want a PG-13 conversation with Babette Bombshell or a PG-13 talking Tromaville. You know I, what I mean? <laughs> so you got to kind of remember your audience is not the people who are in the cheap, cheap, cheap seats. Yeah, the death threats are funny because it's like, uh, I'm getting canceled by the social justice warriors and the crazy MAGA people at the I same know, time. Yeah, it's from both sides now. <laughs> I don't know. if I think that might that might be a sign of age for me, where I now realize I'm like slowly turning into the queen who like flows, throws a flip-flop at the kid on the bike. Get off my lawn. <laughs> Fuck you all. I'm watching my videotapes. Leave me alone. That's right. <laughs> so funny. But yeah, so anyway, so Troma, Troma comes along and they, they started promoting, you know, a certain style of movie. And, and tra- because of that, because Troma is associated with, you know, horror and uh, effects and that kind of stuff. And these kind of B, what they'll call B movies, even though I, 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 that's such a nebulous term, that doesn't mean anything. But um, so, so they, they had a, it was the very first one that kind of established a studio that you knew was something. They had a studio identity. If you say like Fox or Paramount or, you know, uh, well, Metro kind of had its own thing. But you know what I'm saying? None yeah. of them you, you look at and you go, oh, well, Warner puts out this like, kind of film. Yeah, you wouldn't say, that's a Warner Brothers. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you wouldn't say to a friend, oh, I saw this Warner Brothers movie this weekend and blah, 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 blah. And that's been the gift 
that keeps on giving for trauma because they have a corporate identity. You know what I mean? So, so the audience, they have a fan base because of that. Warner's doesn't have a fan base. Their movies independently do, but the studio doesn't have fans. Yeah. You know? Maybe the closest thing to that would be the Looney Tunes just because they're so branded. <laughs> with right. it, but, yeah. That's, but, even but, then that's, it's... but that's the kind of the lesson that you learn. <laughs> yeah. From, but trauma kind of taught that lesson. You know what I mean? They really don't exactly. get a lot of credit for what they do. <laughs> Do you remember really? the first trauma movie you saw? Um, I'm fair, it had to be the one that I was aware was a trauma movie. Okay, that's what I got to caveat that because yeah. I saw a lot of crazy movies. My first, the this is actually a funny story. The first, uh, and it says a lot about who I became as a person. There was a, a video place that was right down in the next town from our house, mom and pop video place on Main Street. Okay. And I used to go in there and I would get movies and there were, there was the kind of end of the uh, horror section where there was the curtain where it says, Oh, those be So they kind of like had them arranged so that it got dirtier as you went along, <laughs> you know, to be towards the little adult booth. And uh, I would kind of, I would press my ear to as a little kid to where the curtain was to the adult booth. Cause I wasn't sure if people were having sex back there. I just knew that I couldn't be back there. So I was curious. So as a result of that, there's these movies in front of me, these trauma movies. And um, I remember getting, I remember getting out uh, the toxic Avenger and pink flamingos. Okay. And it was the pink flamingos, the early VHS pink flamingos that had like a diarrhea green cover. Okay. So, <laughs> so um, I go ahead and I, I, I go up and I get the movies and my mom would, my mom didn't even look at what I put on the counter because she was so religious that it didn't even cross her mind that I would sin and get a bad movie, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, she, so we go ahead and we get these movies and um, I never returned them. Okay. And I said that they had been lost. All right? <laughs> I just think I was going to keep them. All right. So I'm already in my head committing in my childhood had committing a crime, but <laughs> then, okay. There was a gas leak in the, in the, um, the basement of that mom and pop video store where those people lived in that house. They lived oh, in the top. Oh. It was from the bottom and uh, the apartment on top. So there was a gas leak. So while I had the, the pink flamingos and the toxic Avenger out, the video store exploded, okay? <laughs> and people were killed, and it was leveled. The whole building was leveled. It was just like a pile of, like, rubble and VHS boxes. That's like the <laughs> opening of Toxic Avenger 3. <laughs> really? <laughs> but, so, yeah, so anyway, so there's just a rubble and video boxes and stuff. As, I'm walk, as I walk by the place, I'm like, wow. Okay, well, now I don't have to worry about <laughs> about returning those movies that are overdue it's just like the perfect cinema crime for me to get away with it but that that was the very first uh it was definitely toxic avenger because i remember the head crunch and i was just like oh my god really wow you know just intense yeah i i think everybody remembers the first time they see that they're like i have never seen anything like that on film before that <laughs> oh yeah that was totally new that was like the far end of the uh that when that moment reminded me a lot is when i, I was in a theater in chicago and i saw time 
with an all I saw Evil Dead for the first time, but it was an all black audience on the south side of Chicago. And man, that was the best cinematic experience <laughs> I have ever had in my life. It was hilarious and so fun because they scream, everybody screams back at the screen, total audience participation, like, run, bitch, run. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh there was another one that i saw i saw that and i saw friday the 13th part two in that same black theater and people were again just like run motherfucker run. <laughs> they're screaming at the screen and then somebody somebody started screaming kick him in the balls kick him in the balls kick him in the balls and then like it was two seconds before the scene where she turns around and she kicks jason in the balls and oh. the whole audience <laughs> exploded yeah, so it was as much like Rocky Horror as a real-world situation could be. It was a lot like William Castle. But the audience manufactured it themselves. It was totally organic. Amazing. But theater is theater is still a great place to get that. My favorite place to get that same thing is when I did children's theater. And the kids don't know when they will scream, Look behind you. She's right behind you. Don't eat that apple. I mean, they really lose their theater. And the last one that I saw that was really done well like that was in 2005. I went and I was in London and I saw Ruby Wax doing witches, doing Rondal's witches on Easter weekend. So all of these little kids come in on Easter weekend in their little Easter outfits looking just like adorable, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) Getty Images cuteness. So all these Getty Image cuteness, you know, cast central casting cute kids coming. And they filled the audience for this show. And they had all of their moms and their aunts and everybody's dressed for Easter with hats and shit. Hilarious. But in the, but if you remember in The Witches, there's the scene where she goes, Witches of England, remove your wigs. Right? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> the entire audience was peppered with women who were wearing wigs that were, and they were hidden underneath it were witches. <laughs> and the kids in the audience just came um freaking glued it was easter <laughs> chaos and there were hats flying every kids climbing up their mothers and, and just being totally triggered so that was the last time that i was just like yeah this is genius this is a little tingler moment somebody's invented <laughs> i am jealous of that experience that sounds amazing <laughs> that was cool that um. was cool but um so yeah but anyway but trauma trauma but going back to trauma after that little sidecar um but, but yeah, Troma invented a lot of these kind of things, um, like doing so much promotion from the studio that was independent, that that's why they survived. I mean, they really edged out, and they proved that independent films could be successful in, uh, in mom-and-pop VHS shops. And Troma is definitely big on self-promotion and, you know, to thy own, thine own self be true, which is something that I've always loved about you, um, cause we sort we met back, back when MySpace was a thing on online there and, <laughs> yeah. uh, me and Richard were making cannibal girl and incest boy. And then we're starting getting messages from Babette bombshell back when you could only have like three pictures on MySpace. And we're like, who is this right. person? But they're <laughs> awesome. And, and like my ex at the time was like, who is this woman sending you messages? <laughs> who is this gigantic monster woman? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, the funny thing about that is um, I, I, I kind of, the whole thing when I first started out is uh, when I came back from, from uh, when I first started, when I came back in like the, you know, 2000s 
it was a joke and all of these this is so politically incorrect for me to say right now so just like everybody hunker down it was all of these like fat goth girls who self-proclaimed themselves to be scream queens oh my god (laughs) (laughs) there was an early 90s where every goth girl who had a boyfriend with a camera at the dawn of the internet proclaimed herself to be a scream queen they didn't understand that it was actually you know if you're a scream queen people let you know it's not something (laughs) so uh I'm Yeah, and even the women that I know who are screen queens don't want to be because it's very limiting in their careers. You know, it's very it's almost derogatory. But um, so I did the plus the plus size goddess of gore, and I <laughs> and that's kind of how I decided to market myself just oh relentlessly. My so that's kind of what that whole thing was when I first came out. Oh my God, that's pretty awesome. (laughs) I wanted to do outrageous movies. I, you know, and that's, and people don't understand like that now, now drag has changed and has become so mainstream. Like Coca-Cola just announced that one of RuPaul's uh, drag race queens is the new face of Coca-Cola. It's like, so drag has changed so much from something that used to be an outsider um, confrontational politically charged thing that now it's just so middle middle america that you know i'm kind of looking for what's the next thing i mean one of one of my favorite quotes i i ever remember seeing you say was uh something along the lines like like i miss the days when drag queens like carried uh switchblades and now they're just hosting bingo in in hipster hamburger bars <laughs> well that's just yeah it's just like and, and even if you know and and people don't understand that like i don't want that kind of fame because like if one of those you know, first off, I'm too old to even be in any of that mess. And secondly, you know, the, the most that that is, is those, those queens, they would work in bars. And I don't like um, lip syncing drag culture. I just don't like it. I just, it's from a time before karaoke. It just, you know what I mean? I appreciate the artistry. I appreciate the dancing. I appreciate all that kind of bullshit. But, um, you know, here's where I put on like my little queer advocate voice. And I'm like, imagine, imagine the black civil rights movement if it didn't have music. You yeah. know what I mean? If they were not making their own words. I'm like to all these queer artists who are lip syncing, still lip syncing, fucking use your, find your voice. It's time for you to speak up and start singing your own kind of music and your own culture. Why are you mindlessly moving your lips, you know, to somebody else's shit that's, you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But, but it's not something I want to do. I have no, no desire to like, you know, sing, lip sync to drag while straight people eat hamburgers. You know, like, <laughs> it's yuck, barf. <laughs> well, and that's, that's one of the things I also appreciate about the roles you choose and in interviews I've heard you do on how selective you are with, uh, with uh, movie roles, how, how you say you don't want to be the punchline cut away drag queen joke in well i don't mind i don't mind that i like that but i just want more of them all stacked up together so that it actually is it like pays. a reason that i'm yeah <laughs> well, so that i'm in the script for a reason because usually what happens is um they'll be like cutaways you know and it's like either i wink or i say hey cowboy suck your dick but that like is <laughs> you know there's not a lot of character depth there 
So, <laughs> so I don't, you know, I try to avoid, you know, just like that. And, uh, but, um, you know, yeah. I, and it's, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to get stuck in a lot of traps that a lot of other people get, get stuck in. I mean, their money, they're, they're not, they're monetarily successful. Like somebody like divine, um, is a legend and I love divine and I'm a huge fan, but at the end of where divine's career was, he was only 42 and the only kind of work that he could get until married with children was the, was the, again, these mute cameos. He was supposed to be the, uh, in Friday the 13th or no, the, uh, Freddy Krueger movie, A Nightmare on Elm Street. The one where they were in the plane. Remember where the plane? Yeah. There was a, there was it, a scene where they were on the plane. Freddy's the, dead, I think. Yeah, yeah. And there was a huge fat woman snoring sitting next to him. And that was offered to Divine. I mean, that was the kind of roles that Divine was getting, just like snoring fat lady on a, on a plane. So, uh, Well, here's you know, a kind of a weird... Died when, uh, when Hairspray came along... Here's kind of like a weird like trauma tangent with that. Around that same time, John Waters <laughs> approached trauma about producing Flamingos Forever. And right around right. when Divine Pass, can you imagine like a Lloyd Kaufman, Michael Hurst, <laughs> John Waters movie? Like <laughs> But he saw their editing, he saw their editing studio that was in the basement. I mean, it was like yeah, so he was he was horrified by the editing studio and kind of ran for the hills. I, I heard Lloyd Pussy. <laughs> right. <laughs> I heard Lloyd say something where he where he was like, It wasn't that dirty. But we've <laughs> we've lived in trauma conditions. It's like, I don't know, it probably was. <laughs> Yeah, there is a bar there when you. But okay, so let's. Okay, so we'll go, honey. We'll get. We'll get into all that about what it's like because we've both done that. You worked on poultry, guys. I can't imagine what that that amount of blood in, in a place that animals had already habituated for food. It and, was. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that was shot in a real restaurant. Well, uh, so it down. was an abandoned McDonald's that we filmed in, and it was shut down because they were selling crack through the drive-through. So. <laughs> Well, and then it was like, it, it was nice watching the behind the scenes of Return to Newcomb High, which uh, you played Principal Wesley and ended all the Cretans makeup, which we'll definitely talk about both in a sec. But yeah. it's nice to see that um, you guys were filming in an equally shitty neighborhood. Because, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm telling you, there was an active like serial killings going on and then while we were shooting that goddamn thing. So it was kind of a very harrowing. And I, you know, the thing that's funny when you go to, because we shot, you know, we shot in an abandoned mortuary that had been, you know, gutted. And it was a, not only just a mortuary, but it was a mortuary that was owned by a mobster in the, like one of the biggest mobsters in the country back in the 20s and 30s. And he was famous for killing people and um, rifling their bodies through the through the mortuary and, and burying people too deep, and for torturing people in the uh, in the cooler. And that cooler, that walk-in cooler, is where you see um, the guy named Gill. I think his name was Fish Dick Gill. I don't. Yeah, know. Yeah, like right at the beginning. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I did his body makeup. So because he had farmer tan, because he was like this guy. He was one of the writers. He's this guy. I don't know where he was from, somewhere in middle of America. But he was like, "Wow, isn't this exciting to be here doing this?" Movie? It was really a funny guy. But anyway, 
So, uh, so I did his body makeup, but that whole scene there was shot in, um, in a cooler, a walk-in cooler where people were tortured and possibly killed in there, you know, cause it was soundproof. <laughs> That's pretty nuts. We, so on Poultry Geist, um, right towards the beginning of the shoot, we're, we're filming and then some dude pulls up outside the church we were all living in. Cause we also, we were filming in an abandoned McDonald's and living in an abandoned church. And he pulls up in this nice Cadillac and he's wearing these expensive suits, gold chain, you know, looking like he right. walked right out of the Sopranos. And he pulls out like these PVC, you know, potato guns from his trunk. And he's like, I'm here to show you guys how blood splatter works. <laughs> and then wow. like the trauma team is just looking around and, and then like, everyone's like, he's in the mob, but nobody's saying it loud enough because like, there's definitely that history in Buffalo <laughs> and then someone, right. so, someone on the trauma team. Cause there's, you know, it's the trauma team. This was like, so what do you do for a living? He's like waste management. And we're like, oh, all right, well, let's just stop fucking fucking around with this. And how does, when show I was us how blood sprays. <laughs> right. When I was in Chicago, I dated a guy that was a mobster. I was like a mob mall for a while. And when I was very, very young. Okay. Cause I was like arm candy for this. <laughs> and I was so stupid to be, but anyway, so yeah. So I, I dated a mobster for a while, but there was another guy when I was studying, when I was studying improv comedy in Chicago, I was at a place called um, Sorrento Studios, where this was. And this guy's name was Ted Sorrentos, who ran this school. And he didn't teach any kind of improv theory, like none of the, you know, yes and, none of that ever crossed his lips. I don't know what the hell the class was actually in retrospect, but it was fun. So he gets me on stage and it was one of those kind of improv shows, live shows where the audience give you, you're in an elevator and you're a beautician and you're getting a divorce. You know, it was that kind of a thing. But because the audience was so small and pathetic, um, this director said he gave the, uh, off the top of his head, he gives the, the different things that were supposed to be. And he picks me and this other guy I'm going to just say his name was, oh, I don't know, Vinny. You can fill in the rest. Very famous mobster in Chicago. All right. <laughs> famous mobster in Chicago. And he lets him pick him pick one of the things. Okay. So he's not, he's not in the class. He's just decided to come and see a show that night. Okay. So now I am standing as the person in the scene next to a big mouse for Chicago. And Vinny decides that I'm going to be someone he's going to, I, I owe him money and he's going to get money from me. <laughs> and lights. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And I was so, and it was just like the most horrifying improv you've ever seen in your life. And it was just horrifying. But yeah, so I, I can commiserate with the whole, but, but that Buffalo, the, the mortuary where we shot in, um, Buffalo, <laughs> I, I collect like murderabilia and stuff. And they had the crematory oven there. And in the crematory oven, when you opened it up, because you know I'm gonna. So <laughs> it's, it's a crematory, you gotta look. So I open it up and there were all these business cards from the mobster that were still in the cremation oven where he was burning his business cards. Oh, so I geez. grabbed a whole stack of them, this, this mobster's business cards from the mortuary. That's Put awesome. him in my purse. <laughs> <laughs>
ha, you didn't think you were paying me anything? Ha ha ha, wait till I put these on eBay. So yeah, you gotta you gotta make your own living in show business, kids. That's the make your own damn living. That's right. That's right. But yeah, so there's a long tradition of unusual unusual situations under which drama has shot their movies. Yeah, ours so like where the McDonald's was was right in the middle of like the intersection was two different gangs turfs like right where it met. So yeah, like I heard on the documentary and maybe your commentary that there was signs that say don't go without a buddy anywhere. Oh, yeah, when I if, arrived, when I was when I arrived there were signs because they had found the body of a little girl in a dumpster next door. So, I mean, good advice. Good advice if you're going to figure it out. But yeah, there were signs in the mortuary. Yeah, we were standing outside the American Chicken Bunker, and we see some dude walking down the street, and we see some car just pull over, grab the dude off the street, throw him in the back of the car, and take off. We're like, huh, I guess we're not going to the get seven up today. We'll just stay back at (laughs) the Chicken Bunker. I'm not thirsty suddenly. Yeah, that's crazy. And it was, Dude, yeah, it was like kind of, it, it looks nice now. I, you know, looked on Google Maps and it seems like they've changed the area quite a bit. But at the time when we were shooting, it was pretty run down. And another funny thing, because in the poultry geist, they have all the signs that say now hiring. So we would have people coming up. Looking um, for jobs. <laughs> looking for jobs or being like, well, do you at least have an invitation I could give? Or like a <laughs> application I could show my... Uh, my PO showing that I was looking for jobs. And the funniest, the funniest thing was uh, like some dude came up and he's like, Oh man, when you guys open in, cause we had the grand opening signs and we're like, Oh, this is a movie set. Um, you know? And he's like, that's fucked up building a fake chicken restaurant in an all black neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) That crazy. I know they filmed that for the behind the scenes, but that did not make it. It didn't make it. Oh, it's a surreal environment around those and if you're already in a surreal like that buffalo where we shot in buffalo in the mortuary they're immediately the only thing that dominates that skyline in that little rundown area of buffalo is the uh big uh indian casino there and that building looks like a transformer it literally looks you know what i mean like it's gonna go and stand up and walk away that's so it's like this enormous zardoz kind of monument in the middle of like mad max and the thunderdome area it's very surreal kind of experience to shoot there and was so how it felt on poultry guys to end I, I kind of know what your answer will be, but I, I want you to say it. But um, it felt like uh, like living in a cult working on a trauma oh, movie because everybody 100%. is getting brainwashed by, like, everybody believes in the trauma mission, and you're only sleeping two hours a night anyways, and you're barely okay, okay, But eating. you're underselling it. You're underselling it. <laughs> Four out of five people that walk up to you are tattoos of trauma characters okay you know what i mean there are people there who call him uncle lloyd even when he's not around (laughs) (laughs) you walk in and because we're all staying on the cement floor of a mortuary okay i don't know what it was like on poultry guys 
but all there were were small piles of like clothing. And because we didn't have a washer or dryer during the entire shoot, they had, as you looked upon it, there was that kind of chemical kind of <laughs> waviness you get off of the highway in the desert. <laughs> From all of these piles of clothing laying around. So it really did look like Jonestown the day after with all of the people like <laughs> sprawled you know, out on the floor. Out. Exactly. But the yeah. first, when I first arrived, there was a horrible thunder and lightning storm. Okay. So it was like, you know, the pouring rain, thunder and lightning in the middle of the night. And I get there and the entire cast and crew are dancing around in the rain in front of the mortuary like Manson people, like Squeaky From, you would expect. And one girl is washing her hair in the mortuary downspout. Like, <laughs> but it was because we only had one bathroom for 60, you know, one shower for 60 cast and crew. That was in the same on uh, Poultry Geist also. We had one barely working shower for, for all of us. The the landlady of the church wanted us out. So when the hot water heater broke, she's like, I guess I'll just have to find a new place to live. And the producer's like, we'll show you. We're the trauma team. So. <laughs> That's right. You underestimate us, our commitment to cinema. So funny. Yeah, but it's just great. It was, it was fun, but it was fun. So you just kind of have to walk into that experience and resign yourself to, okay, I am going to now join this cult for a small period of time, <laughs> you know, and it was, it was fun. I had a lot of fun on the shoot. On, on poultry guys. So I was part of the, the blood boys, the blood team. And we, we were almost like a gang. There was four of us and there was in the huge basement where everyone was sleeping. They built a set where, um, you know, they were, it was going to be a sex scene for the Colonel and he had his desk in there. So we like, took right. over this section of the abandoned church. We're like, we are sleeping in this movie set. <laughs> so whenever I watched that scene, I was like, like, yeah, as, as the lettuce is falling out of like her, her sandwich boobs, like my pillows underneath that desk with my, with my suitcase and like my unwashed clothes. <laughs> hilarious. That is hilarious. Yeah, you definitely get to know people. That And, you know, I, I, the advice I would give anybody who's in independent film is if you get the opportunity to do a trauma film, it's not going to pay you a lot, but you'll meet a lot of people in the industry because everybody, every independent filmmaker that can work on those films does. Yeah, you know, so and everybody's a director <laughs> like who's yeah. on there. So, so you're going to find a movie. It's like, I will crew up on your movie or yeah. act in it or something. Yeah, so it's a really fun experience that way. But you really get to know people like Bjarni. I don't know if Bjarni was on Poultrygeist from he Iceland. He wasn't. I was sad. He uh, he's gonna be on an episode coming up pretty soon. Oh yeah, no, you've got to you've got to have Bjarni on. He slept right next to me, so he's kind of Bjarni's look is kind of like if you took uh, Chewbacca and you dipped him in peroxide real fast and you yanked him out and shook him off and you just threw him out let him dry, let him dry <laughs> let him dry <laughs> you know what i mean so he kind of has this great this great like fuzzy look so he slept on one side of me <laughs> on the cement and tara miller who is gorgeous okay if anybody who's seen return to newcomb high the woman who has the dark hair the dark haired trauma girl who's one of the um cretans big uh dark brunette girl but you see her in this movie because she's wearing all of this kind of heavy metal stuff uh makeup and stuff i'll tell you what 
that woman is beautiful. She was the most drop dead gorgeous woman um, on that set, bar none. And that's saying something, you know, when you look at like Catherine Gacorin and Asta. But uh, yeah, so she slept on the other side of me. And the reason why that was, is that was because we were having, the neighborhood was so rough and they were having serial killings. So I said, oh, Tara, come sit here next to me and you can sleep here and I'll protect you being the big, strong queen that I am. <laughs> but actually she was closer to the door. So anybody would have exhausted themselves any serial killer. So that was my cunning plan. She was my human shield from serial killers. And then you'll throw a sweet, <laughs> sweet young Bjarni right at him. <laughs> yeah, then Bjarni. I'll trip over Bjarni. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was, so it was, it was a lot of fun. It didn't get, that, that shoot didn't get scary until, for those reasons, until towards the end of the shoot. when Because the, when there's a lot of people in the mortuary, there's a lot of people to keep uh, homeless people out. You know what I mean? Because there weren't. The, the locks on those doors didn't, there weren't locks on some of these doors in this mortuary. So people could just wander off the street and that happened. I mean, I woke up to having somebody taking the posters off of the wall oh, <laughs> over me at the end of the shoot. So that's what the situation was. So towards the end of the shoot, I was ready to go because I was like, this is getting a little hairy in here. Yeah. On poultry guys, luckily like the, the church was like, they always had somebody in the church and they always had somebody in the, in the chicken bunker um just making sure nothing got got stolen but i'm sure it would have because <laughs> those are some sketchy neighborhoods <laughs> too funny too and so funny. You, so you did you were principal wesley in the return to newcomb high movies uh tell me a little bit about like how you got the role well, I have been working. I, it's funny because when you're in the indie film, you get to meet people and know people. So I know Lloyd from having done lots of different films with him. And because of that, you know, because of working on lots of little things with him, um, he, he can see me outside of the persona and the, that's on the street, which is the gigantic drag queen. And he'll place me in other kind of roles that other people that are casting wouldn't because they don't, because people, you know, they cast you as what they see you in. So, and as an actor, you kind of have to be careful of that because if you do the same kind of character back to back, that's it for the rest of your career. That's all you're going to get offered. So, um, so Lloyd, Lloyd was originally going to cast Debbie Rashawn to play principal Wesley. And um, Debbie was, I had just shot model hunger with her where I had done a, a, a cameo and model hunger. There. That movie is awesome. I love that movie. I'm so proud of it. I'm so proud of it. But yeah, so so she she was busy in all of the editing of that. I don't know if she was available or the uh, the budget or for whatever reason she couldn't do the film. So he started doing auditions for the film um, for Principal Wesley, and, and you know I got the script and I was just like, well, I'll, I'll just shoot something out to him and remind him that I exist. And uh, <laughs> he, he, this comes from Pat Lloyd Kaufman's wife, Pat Kaufman. And she, uh, she says, she says to me, we were at, at an opening of something and she's drinking a glass of red wine. And she says, you know, Lloyd and I were in bed looking at audition tapes. <laughs> and she says, and yours came on. And I said to Lloyd, we have to have him. <laughs> <laughs> and at first I was like, is this a proposition for a throwaway? But no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> It was actually they wanted me for the they wanted me for Newcomb High, but that was uh, but but it was originally a female role and I auditioned for it as a male, 
and because there wasn't because I thought it supported the uh, the friction between the principal and Asta would be easier to read if it was a male character. And since, since Debbie wasn't going to do it, there was no reason for it specifically to be female. So I switched it over and I played him kind of um, like a rich Richard Christie, the Republican kind of Richard <laughs> Christie. And um, one of my teachers from um, Christian school who uh, used to shake his neck and, and blah, blah. people think it's Richard Nixon, but it's really a guy who talked like Richard Nixon, who was a, uh, who was the preacher at my, at my <laughs> when I was a child. <laughs> if, if only he would, he would think that he would be the inspiration while getting teabagged by Zach Amico. <laughs> right. Right. So funny. God, that day. When, if you have not seen the movie, you know, it's, you know, I take Zach Amico's scrotum him to my face and uh, I haven't done his. Eventually Zach, I'll have to do one of uh, Zach Amico's, shows and talk to him about that and that'll be fun because i've never but there were the funny thing about that was <laughs> i brought up that that whole scene there where he, the teabagging scene he was supposed to just walk in naked and shake and that was the ending of the scene he was supposed to say he was ready to and i was supposed to say oh oh young man you know that kind of thing yeah but that was supposed to be the end of the scene. And I was like, well, how about if he knocks me over and we have a teabagging? That'll be something that, you know what I mean? We'll add an extra thing to the. And since I'm here and, you know, not shy. So uh, <laughs> that that wasn't planned to be that shot that way. But we just did it that way. And we shot that over and over and over, <laughs> and over I, again. In the documentary, it looks like there's like 20 takes and then oh my god and i was sweating so badly like you can it's it, it, you know i was just like so sweating and uh the thing that was funny about that is i zach was um zach was shy which is hilarious for me to say but it's true kids so zach <laughs> comes to me uh before we shot the scene and he says to me just so you know i uh went and uh gave the kids a drive-by and everything's clean so, <laughs> so he was like in a very creepy kind of me too way letting me know that it was like i laughed and pat him on the back and i was like well thank you for thank you for that um but the other thing that was funny about that that was somebody there's always people who want to visit set they're like oh well, this will be fun let's go and visit a movie set so there was this little girl with this little redheaded girl who looked like Annie, <laughs> you know, like and she, well, more like Pippi Longstockings. Okay, that Greta, imagine a hybrid of Greta Thunberg and Pippi Longstockings. Okay? <laughs> That's who was standing in front of me. This little fourteen-year-old girl and her father, ready to watch me shoot this scene as Principal Wesley, <laughs> where I know Zach is about to run in naked, and you know, <laughs> so I so I know it's going. And I looked, I looked at the father, and I'm. Huh? <laughs> And I walked over to Lloyd and I'm just like, Lloyd, really, I'm about to take balls to my face. I cannot be the responsible adult on this set. Somebody else needs to. <laughs> so like when I was like, yeah, yeah, get her. You know how Lloyd is the kind of finger in the air. Yeah, of course, of course. Yes, yes, get her, get her, get her the fuck out of here. Out why why didn't anybody think of that? <laughs> why, why, is, why is Babette Bombshell the one thinking of this? Like, why didn't it? And then the poor PA in the corner. Why didn't it? Right. Steven over there say something. God damn it, Steven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm some a little conniption. So, yeah. So that was that was very funny. But we shot that a lot. We shot that a lot. And, you know, that's, <laughs> that room was so hot. And the, uh, you know, so you just kind of just land in a pile. But the, the DP was shy about shooting that scene. 
because it was thrust in his lap. Like he did not say, he didn't, you know what I mean? Like I made that shit up with Lloyd in the hallway before we walked in to shoot it. So he suddenly felt like he was kind of being usurped and being, you know, made to shoot something that he wasn't going to. But um, Zach, <laughs> Zach in that scene was funny because when he, when the first time we shot it and we blocked what we were going to do before we did it, all of the all of the extras start leaning forward because they all want to be in sh- shot for this, okay, yeah. <laughs> for this scene. So everybody suddenly like swells. You know how extras swell their space when they yeah. So they kind of had to move the camera around. But um, <laughs> Zach, when he fell on top of me, was kind of careful. You know, was being careful. He didn't want to like really mash my face. You know what I mean? And being a demure flower, I can't say, please mash your balls in my face. You know, that's for the director. I don't want to usurp the director's power. <laughs> He's an auteur. You can't take away his face. But I think, honestly, between you and I, I think Zach was afraid he was going to get in a boner. If, <laughs> if there was any actual, like, you know, so he was a bit timid. But uh, that was such a funny shoot. That was such a funny shoot. And you were telling me uh, something interesting before on how Return to Nuka Mahai even came to... So this is the Lloyd's first movie not shot on 35mm film. Right. And you were saying that um, Herschel Gordon Lewis uh, was kind of inspiring him to shoot digital. Well, they kind of... those two Because I, I saw Lloyd when Lloyd and I... <laughs> Lloyd and I again, another classy scene Lloyd and I have together. Lloyd and I were um, in Herschel Gordon Lewis, the godfather of gore. I mean, he invented... So people who are the casual listener who got it this far, who's not a horror fan, you know, please seek help. Are you locked? Do you need help? <laughs> are you chained to a chair? But um, yeah, no, to anybody who's not like in the know as far as horror goes, Herschel Gordon Lewis invented gore. He invented splatter. You know, all of the movies of the the 80s uh, that followed could not have happened because prior to Herschel Gordon Lewis, people got shot or stabbed and there was no blood and they just kind of fell down. You know what I mean? And he yeah. was the first one to say, no, let's make it, let's make it look real. So um, <laughs> we were on Herschel's set and Lloyd was playing my pimp. For the okay? Uh-Oh show. For the Uh-Oh show, which was originally called um, Herschel Gordon Lewis's Grim Fairy Tales. And as a movie, it doesn't really gel that well, even though I love the movie because it's a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie, because um, it suffers from a kind of thing where you, you have an idea for a long time. Because I was attached to the O show when it, years before when it was in pre-production with Joe Castro, who was in L.A. and a, very, uh, a really great... Um, makeup effects artist. He did a Chupacabra film that I think is available through Trauma. Legend of the Chupacabra. And he did uh, Terror Dudes, yeah, that, which is also pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. So um, so I was attached to it previously when it was Joe Castro's production. And then they that fell apart for whatever reason. And Herschel brought me back um, to do a part in this. And I play a prostitute. And Lloyd is my pimp. So uh, we had that scene together. But it was the thing that was interesting about that about that shoot specifically with Lloyd because I've seen him on a lot of sets and then this one he was nervous Lloyd that was the first set I've ever seen Lloyd on where he was actually kind of nervous and he was chain smoking a little and uh and it was because you know here he's where he's on the set of his hero you know he's one of his uh you have the cinema legend guy and 
you know, he, he's really, he's, he wants to do his best. Like any, like any good actor, he wants to do his best in, um, <laughs> in show up guns blazing. But Herschel was amazing because Herschel only does one take. <laughs> like there, if, if, if he has to do another take, it's a problem. You know, <laughs> yeah. he only, he only wants the one take. He likes the rawness of that one take. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, so you really kind of have to have your shit together to do a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie. So Lloyd remembered me from that. And, uh, you know, that leads to, that leads to, uh, me getting cast in, um, but when I was on the set of that movie with, you know, working with Lloyd, um, I was, you know, just idly standing by well, they started talking about um, digital because uh, the Uh-Oh show was Herschel's first, Herschel Gordon-Lewis's first movie that was not shot on film. And um, he had been reticent in the same way that a lot of filmmakers that were from, from you know, before the digital uh, revolution in film to cross over because of a lot of reasons, because of the saturation of dark and just the overall aesthetic and feel and the color correction sometimes, you know, just makes everything look flat and uniform. So uh, it doesn't have that richness, but Herschel was standing right there and talking with Lloyd and going over. He's like, no, you really, you should be doing this. You, you know, it's the ease of editing is, is right here at your fingertips. You don't have to wait for this film to come in. He's just like, it's a, an amazing experience. So I kind of watched Herschel and Lloyd talking about moving forward. And then Herschel's next film was shot, or I mean, Lloyd's next film was shot on digital. And uh, that was the, that was, uh, Newcomb High, and it's beautiful. I mean, that movie—it looks great. It's probably one of the best-looking trauma movies, you know, or of Lloyd's movies. It's definitely one of the best. Yeah, I have not. I haven't seen shit. uh, I haven't seen Shitstorm yet. I haven't seen uh, the new one. But uh, yeah, it's a. It's a. Newcomb was a beautiful movie. And I saw in the in the documentary on there that there was uh, a lot of friction um, between the the trauma crew and the camera crew, which also happened on poultry guys. There was a lot of, <laughs> and, and then there's a scene in that documentary um, where the F one of the FX artists is uh, getting into an argument with the DP. And then you're, you're in the background imparting words of wisdom. And the whole time I was like, Oh, I really wish Babs was on poultry guys. <laughs> like everyone needs a Babs. <laughs> well, see that, well, because when you see things going wrong, you, I, I, that's the only time that I'm really like, no, 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 this could shut down production. Stop it. You know what I mean? And that was one of those situations because um, the DP's crew were a hired outside crew that came in. Okay. So they were all already an existing unit and had really no inclination to want to mix with the you know, digital or the effects people and the sound people that were Troma's crew because they kind of looked at it as film school. You know what I mean? And, you know, I kind of see where they're coming from because in fairness, it is film school because a lot of these people are, they're learning, they're not getting paid a lot. I'll tell you that for damn sure. So they're there because they're fans and because, and, but a lot of people on, in our, in our uh, crew that were the Troma people um, really were insulted by that because um, they thought it was a generalization. And a lot of people that worked on uh, Newcomb High did ha- do already have careers in, in film. But, you know, then it turns into this whole pissing thing. So anyway, so these two are going at it, you know, just for those people who haven't seen the document, these two are going at it. And they, I'll tell you, Zach, they really did me it. Cause I was, cause I was kind of concerned about how I was going to come off in that because, uh, and they, they stopped it before it went any further, but here's what the rest of that was. 
they do that thing. And I, they were arguing back and forth and I pumped up and I said, listen, this is not fair to Lloyd. You're kicking a bee's nest. This meeting should be shelved until Lloyd Kaufman is here. Cause it's not fair to the director. Cause he's going to have to come through and sort the bodies on whatever mess you guys make. So like, let's shelf this until Lloyd is here. And then I walked away a little bit. I took three steps back, you know, and uh, they continued. And I said, maybe I was not clear. (laughs) 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 And and that I was glad that they didn't, uh, they didn't show that little bit extra where I was like really having to assert myself. But you know, that's the kind of thing it happens on a lot of movies and people who are working on the film because it's their job, you know, that can shut down production. Yeah. Like little peddly arguments and you know what I mean? It's just like, so, uh, and ultimately it doesn't mean anything because everybody is there to produce the same product at the end. You know what I mean? So you just kind of have to learn how to bob along through that kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah, uh, on Poultry yeah. Geist, it was, there was definitely, it, it looked very similar. The camera crew was hired on. It was Brendan Flint, who was uh, the DP for Citizen Toxie, Terra Firma, and Tromeo and Juliet. So, like, you know, we're all like, oh, this dude knows trauma. And then he's there, and he, he keeps calling them the rubber chicken monsters and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, this is oh, not good. It's not going well. <laughs> and then he's standing there. He's like, I paint with light, but he only has, like, two lights in his light kit. <laughs> he's doing a lot of shorthand painting right yeah it's so funny and, and he's yeah, like very funny he's like i i don't shoot handheld but lloyd shoots handheld 35 all the time and, and he's mm-hmm. very comfortable with that and if you watch poultry geist you will notice there's a ton of handheld shots in that movie so well, that had to be a nightmare to shoot because there was so much blood. I mean, and you guys, and you guys specifically were the blood guys on that and do amazing work. If, um, was it my, was it, which was it? My, my bloody Valentine, the short that you guys shot that, that was on YouTube that did just yeah. so much. Yeah, yeah. We where um, my partner, Richard, he's disemboweling himself, spraying blood all over the place. To make, yeah. Uh, so I, re- I remember seeing all of the blood work there. So I wasn't at all surprised when you guys were working on poultry guys, but that must've been hard just because of so much splatter. We like had to organize like our five gallon drums of blood. And then it, you know, it, I'm sure you remember from some of those scenes in Newcomb high, like the, it's just not safe to walk around in some of those rooms once all the blood starts flying everywhere. So there's like dedicated cleanup crews and then it's Lloyd. So like, you'll think it looks awesome. And then he's like, that was bullshit. Shoot it again for an effect that was only designed to halfway work through that first take. (laughs) Yeah. And Herschel, and Herschel Gordon Lewis has said again, you know, you can imagine how much blood they just had barrels and barrels and barrels and barrels of blood. And I'm sitting there and they had these, um, these little kids who were there because there are scenes in, in the uh, show where Herschel is reading to little kids that are sitting around him. And uh, so all of those little kids were there this day. And one of the kids was the producers was one of the producer's daughters. It's a little tiny little blonde pigtailed girl. And she's walking around <laughs> like, just like a, a salty cinema veteran. And she looks <laughs> at the other kids and she says, see those barrels over there. And the other kids are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She goes, blood. <laughs> And all the little kids are like, <gasps> so yeah, but so yeah, blood is just one of those things that you that you got to learn to kind of navigate on a set. Slime too, slime in a trauma set. You know, if it's red or green, don't step in it. Yeah, it's because it, it, you're gonna eat shit 
I was nervous. I was nervous for Lloyd in those scenes in Newcomb High where he's in full makeup walking downstairs that are covered in slime. You know, he had a bad knee at that point. So that was before his knee replacements. I was just like, are you, I know Pat must've just like had a conniption fit when she saw it. Well, there was one take, they cut it, but you could totally see he like, cause when Lloyd is acting in a scene, he gives it 110% of right. what, whatever's in his brain. That's exactly what he's going to do. You can always tell he gets a twinkle in his eye when he has an idea to do something as he's shooting. And in one of those takes in Newcomb High, when he's going down the stairs, you could tell he's like, I'm going to kind of jump on this step and you could see him slip. (laughs) And I'm like, oh no, (laughs) don't break your hip on the stairs. (laughs) But yeah, so he he had a a hip replacement. Okay, here, this is is, uh, domestic, domestic talk. We'll we'll open the peek behind the curtain of trauma. (laughs) (laughs) Lloyd's house, when I I shot the Roger Ailes documentary, uh, I, I was our house guest. I was Lloyd Kaufman's house guest in his house. And Lloyd's house is three-story brownstone. It's not real wide, but it's one of those kind of New York, you know, houses, brownstones that are very, very skinny, but there's three stories. So when I was just like, man, he's got knee problems. For me, as their house guest, like schlepping up three flights of stairs, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. I would kill myself if I lived in this house. And you mentioned so you mentioned you worked on that Roger Ailes documentary where you played Roger Ailes, but that was produced by Charlotte Kaufman, Lloyd's daughter. That was produced by his daughter, yeah. And she remembered me as Principal Wesley from seeing me on uh, and meeting me on the set and stuff. And she knew that I was, you know, <laughs> she she knew that I would come and, and give her what she needed for it. But that was a fun that was fun to be able to do that. And that was that was Emmy nominated that movie. How so, how how was working for Charlotte as opposed to Lloyd? Oh, Charlotte is just amazing. Charlotte is just amazing. You know, and she's got she's got the camera in her hand. She's right there. And, you know, what can I say? I want to work with her again. I want to work with her again. And she's and she her and her sister have been doing a um, collecting footage and stuff for a documentary on Lloyd for a long time. That, I'm, I'm always I'm, excited I'm always there that. to say I want to help with that because that. Uh, <laughs> You know, because I said to him, I, I I texted Lloyd and I was just like, you know, this whole thing with this trauma gate and the pizza gate thing. I'm like, you should do a documentary about that, because if you if you look at how even that impacted trauma, trauma has been in the culture, weaving through the culture since the 80s. And when it when that kind of shock jock TV happened, trauma was impacted by that. When the censorship happened, trauma was impacted by that. When the satanic panic happened in the culture, trauma was impacted by that. And now this cancel culture thing. So they've kind of went woven right through all of the culture, um, not just cinema culture, but the regular culture in a way that no other studio really has. Or really no one has. Like that's yeah, a pretty yeah. unique Lloyd and Michael experience. Yeah, yeah. But that's you know, it's just amazing. But yeah, staying at the Kaufman's house was a lot of fun. <laughs> They're very good. They were very good hosts. I believe it. And it's kind of like walking walking into his walking into Lloyd Kaufman's everyday life is like walking into an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. If you went home with Lloyd Kaufman, that basically is what, you know, 
But they have their their little brownstone has the Toxic Avenger uh, sculpt above the doorway, like a gargoyle, like actually made of you know, it's like masonry, like attached to the building, the Toxic Avenger. It's so, uh, awesome that they did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But again, I could never live in that house because uh because. I'm a nudist and you know, the doorway, it's one of those New York brownstones again, that's thin where the stairs from up, from upstairs terminate right in front of the front door. <laughs> so you can't like go down to the kitchen for a snack without putting clothes on. I wouldn't last well, but here's a funny thing. Okay. Here is, okay. <laughs> Don't kill me for saying this. Okay. Here's a funny thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> when you walk into Lloyd and Pitt's house, okay. Immediately to one side of the door, is a table, you know, it was a little hallway table. And the first time I walked in the house, it was just with Lloyd, okay? And Lloyd opens the door and he lets me in. And immediately on that table are awards that Lloyd has won, okay? <laughs> like all these different awards filed immediately right next to the front door. So you can't walk any deeper into the house without looking at the collection of awards <laughs> that he's won. And he looks at me and he says, oh yeah, I've been meaning to take those upstairs. And I was like, and I, I was like, of course, of course. But, yeah, but, I, but I, I looked at him for a little bit, and then we walk inside. And then the next time that I came to, came to stay with them, okay, it was me and Pat, and Lloyd wasn't there. And Pat opens the door, and and I and I looked, and there were more awards that he had won because he, you know, wins awards all the time. And there are more awards. And I was like, oh, he's got. He's got an award. This is a new one. This award. And Pat looks at me. She says, yes, yes, we've been meaning to take those upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> so they're a little double act. They're a little double act. But adorable. I really love them so much. Really fun people. Before I left their house, I left little altars to myself around with those little electronic candles so that, you, you know, in case they wanted to worship me or pick it up in their spare time. That's so, awesome. <laughs> I left them little shrines to me around their house. <laughs> Pat has probably my favorite line in the Newcomb High movie where so Mark Torgel, the original Toxic Avengers is uh, jerking off and then Lloyd's like and then we're gonna have him come all over the place and Patty's like no uh, Dumbo didn't need the feather to fly and you don't need to have ejaculation in this movie <laughs> and, it's, and it's like just sitting behind like those two so like watching movies it's like I've heard them have very similar conversations yeah, it's like I don't are. know why you need all that gross stuff Lloyd <laughs> they are a double act they're a lot of fun and been very kind to me to, you know you gotta look i just i was in an emmy nominated film because of them because of my connection to roma and their kindness and you know truth be told there are people because i was raised kind of in just this will shock you but i have a troubled youth no <laughs> but, but i was raised in my, my family is kind of like very disjointed um and when I see families like that, that are just so warm with one another, the way Lloyd is with his kids, and it's just, it is exactly, you know, a, a, a really beautiful thing to see. And I kind of adopted them as a result of that. <laughs> so I was just like starting to, I started to send them little texts and things like that. So uh, as a result of that, we've gotten to be friends. But yeah, so I... Um, another thing about Newcomb High, which I thought was really cool, that um, you did all of the Cretans makeup, and not just like the featured Cretans, there's like 100 of them, like as extras, and you did all <laughs> of the makeup. <laughs> Well, this here is the crazy thing. And, you know, part of it was out of guilt because, <laughs> okay, because there was this, there was this girl who was the makeup artist and 
nobody on set was aware of the body that had been found in a dumpster or the woman's torso who had been, you know, like decapitated and thrown in Niagara Falls while we were there. Cause there was like a serial killer, you know, a woman disappeared in a convenience store down the street. So nobody knew about this as it was happening because they were so busy. You know what it's like, you don't yeah. have time to do anything. You're in, you're in a ant farm. When you're right. In exactly. So I was one of the only people who was, you know, because at that point I hadn't started doing the makeup. All I had to do was be Principal Wesley. You know what I mean? So I had a lot more free time. So I'm reading all of this stuff and secretly kind of doing an investigation on my own, like Miss Marple. Like I walk up to Clay and I'll say like, Clay, did you torture animals as a small child? You know, just kind of innocent questions. Because <laughs> it's a lot of weirdos to be shooting a movie in a neighborhood to suddenly have there be killings happening. So, uh, so I'm like poking around in the cast and crew to see if there are people of interest. <laughs> and uh, you know, it just it's it's just one of those crazy things. But I said to the girl who was the makeup artist, I said, "Are you aware of this?" I'm like, "This whole thing, you know, this <laughs> this makeup girl, this." And she was just like, "Oh my gosh, that's crazy!" And then we were going to go and get costumes okay that immediately after i had pointed out to her in the news that there was this decapitation killer in the neighborhood and we were we had to go and get my costume and lloyd's costumes and everything was closed it's like 5 p.m buffalo new york and there's nothing but like goodwill maybe open for next half hour and she's saying to lloyd lloyd i don't know where to go to get these suits there's nothing open at this time and we need them tomorrow morning and he's like you go and get those costumes go and get them i don't care what you have to do i don't care if you have to knock on doors you go out and get those costumes and she said lloyd i don't know i don't know how to do this and he said if i was going to cut your head off <laughs> if you didn't come back with a costume what would you do <laughs> and she just looks at me like dun, 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 dun. <laughs> like that so okay so so you know lloyd you know to make a dramatic point through hyperbole lloyd you know said this to this girl and in the middle of the night at three o'clock in the morning she disappeared in her car and she didn't come back so there was no makeup artist get it the makeup artist took off and uh and um so i'm just like oh man so and I've done a lot of makeup for like Universal and, you know, because I work partly in the theme park industry also. So I've done a lot of effects makeup and I did a lot of haunted house design in my career and all of that kind of stuff. So I was just like, okay, well, let me, let me do this. Okay. So I, I designed all of the Cretans and like within a half an hour, they, I knew I was going to be doing the makeup and I designed them and got the key Cretans out. But um, it would have been a much easier shoot if I hadn't done that because then I would only had to, you know, I wouldn't get call times at four o'clock in the morning to do all the greetings makeups. What but, was uh, what was your guys' turnaround like on Newcomb High? On Poultry Geist, um, set, you, you know, be on set like around four and then you'd probably wrap around like one or two in the morning. Was that we pretty had, similar? We had, we no, there wasn't really anything as as fixed as that. There were, and it was very strange because people would be up working four o'clock, you know, five o'clock in the morning, and there and that was another one of those kind of things where I had to do. Maybe I wasn't clear because uh, people were turning on the lights in the mortuary and leaving them on and and walking around and making noise until four o'clock in the morning when when the actors and the crew had to be there at you know eight o'clock to start shooting. And I was like, this is dangerous, man. Somebody's, you know, just out of exhaustion, people are going to start making mistakes. 
So uh, I, I initiated the rule that, you know, at one o'clock in the morning, the lights in the mortuary have to go out. <laughs> and people need to be able to sleep cannot be a luxury. But, uh, you know, but that comes back to the, the trauma's rules, you know, where it's just like no harm to people, no harm to property. You know, the the turnaround times on poultry guys were so weird. And the fact that they blacked out all the windows in the chicken bunker. So you had no time and cell phones were were not like really a thing at yet so you're not like constantly looking at a clock so you have no idea what the time was like there's a shot in the movie i'm a chicken zombie and i'm dead and laying down on top of the counter and i fell asleep because like in the middle of the take because yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like this is the first time i've laid down <laughs> but you guys had makeup that's the difference is when when i did newcomb high when she left at three o'clock in the morning she left with all of the makeup okay that's so we nuts. were on a set the next day no 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 makeup to put everybody in makeup to shoot this movie okay so i say to this the the production person like okay let's go so we go to get makeup do you know how much the budget was that she had for me to do makeup for an entire feature film? All oh, yeah. of those cretins, all those hundreds <laughs> of people, <laughs> a daily, you know, makeup for all of the budget for, for Newcomb High's makeup department was $50. <laughs> okay. But wait, it gets better. So she says, well, we got this $50. Let's go ahead and go and get some makeup. So I go and she takes me to wait for it the dollar store like the dollar tree and i'm just like you expect me to do an entire feature film with 50 dollars of dollar store makeup this is not possible so i looked across the street and there was a party city okay and i thought well at least party city is gonna have like shitty wax halloween makeup you know what i mean like, yeah you know, some, some crappy maybe some dry old makeup of some kind and they didn't. All that all the Party City had was those big tubes of makeup that like sports fans smear on themselves or car dealerships right on car windows <laughs> like for sale. That's what the Newcomb High makeup was. Is I oh, bought geez. those right. I bought those uh I bought all of those tubes that they had. They had only a few base colors of it. You know, like the red and the white and the you know <laughs> and black. So I bought the primary colors and I bought everything they had as far as green um, hairspray goes for, you know, for coloring their, your hair green. And that was essentially what they, what we made the movie out of. That's but, uh, crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. We, we were pretty fortunate. Like as far as um, they had like teams of people who did um, chicken zombie makeup and they would run drills and they'd have the stopwatch in the church basement. So it'd be like two in the morning and you would see people doing drills on how fast they could put on a chicken zombie makeup on someone. And so you, there, you'd often see somebody walking down the hallway and they're like, what are you doing? And if you weren't working, you were getting fired. But they were like, we need somebody to test the makeup. And that meant you got to sit down for a second. So it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I guess you could test the makeup on me. I was just going to go mop the bathroom again. <laughs> so, but, but people, you know, and as the, as the like the makeup person on Newcomb High, you know, I'm weighing out in my head, you know, how much time I have to do people you know, to get them where they need to be, like when we're at the high school or whatever. But I'm also very cognizant of 
the fan that these are fans these people who have come in and that moment of me doing their makeup and transforming them into a cretin was a special moment you know what i mean that was yeah that's going to be something they're going to remember for the rest of their life so i was kind of very i didn't like treat people you know like a log that i was painting i like i really uh enjoyed the experience with them you know what I mean? Because it's like being a little kid again, getting you know, like, what, I'm going to be in a movie, man. I'm going to be in a trauma movie. Are you kidding me? And I get that when I did, because I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm one of the only people in trauma history that did um, the dance. Because in the dance scene, we had both the Toxic Avenger and Kabuki Man on set at the same time. Yeah. So I did, in one day, I did the Toxic Avenger and Kabuki Man's makeup for a scene. That's awesome. <laughs> and I'm like, that's, you know, you, you place that next to being in one of the famous car explosions in a trauma movie. And, you know, that's kind of amazing to, you know, it makes me proud of my little contribution to, like, B cinema. They, they, the car that they had, Principal Wesley driving, had, like, the softest brakes in the world like if i wanted to like hit the brakes i had to hit it a block away oh <laughs> so i'm driving i'm just like i hope nobody runs out in front of me because troma has a weird thing with cars when i shot stam go which it was is a super trauma action movie go which is not a trauma movie trauma will not will not have anything to do with it but it is a trauma homage movie which means that it is sub quality to a trauma movie yes i have crawled my way to sub trauma films all the way to trauma films <laughs> so there is hope for you trauma people, the people of trauma. you too can follow your way up to the to trauma but um in stam go we had uh in super trauma action movie go where i played like six characters um, because the the plot of the movie had to do with pedophiles, ironic. Had to do with had to do with a cult of pedophiles. Okay, and whenever anybody would get the script, they would read the brief, the treatment on it, and they'd be like, "I'm not doing this movie." So everybody canceled like right before they showed up to shoot Super Traumatic Action Movie Go, and uh, so as a consequence of that, I ended up playing like six characters in that movie. But we had this trauma mobile, okay, which was huge car with the, these two female detectives drive in the in the movie and it was like auschwitz on wheels because <laughs> the gas didn't vent out the back of the car like the ventilation system that vent usually go out the tailpipe circled back up into the car so you could not be in the car with the engine running without having all of the windows down and being <laughs> out the window like a St. Bernard. Like <laughs> it was just great. So yeah, trauma vehicles. I don't know, man. <laughs> well, and funny, funny that you, that it's in the trauma vehicle discussion because in return to Newcomb high, uh, the person sitting in the middle of the Kabuki man car, uh, Mary Swan is one of the lead actresses of super trauma. Yes. We go. And Jen Tonin directed that movie. A beautiful woman. <laughs> you got any new projects coming up or? Um, there's a few, not really any. See, here's the thing that about acting and, and these kind of things. Um, I've learned not to talk about projects until they're shot. Yep. Because people <laughs> poach roles. People, people don't think of it. But as soon as, um, and Debbie Rashad had the same experience. And I love Debbie because Debbie actually, I'm a, I, 
no, I'm, I'm right about this. She said this to me. Um, somebody was doing this to her. There was a specific actress that whenever Debbie would announce something, the actress would immediately call the directors and producers and try to, uh, and try to get the role. Oh, no. <laughs> and Debbie showed up at her doorstep. <laughs> I love that. I love That's it. Awesome. So, uh, so yeah, so no, so I don't really announce. I don't really announce things for that same reason because there's going to be some chubby guy out there who's just going to you know flop on monkey drag and think they're going to take. My my but, jig yeah, is up. No, I guess. Right, now. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, where where online can uh, people follow? I love you. You do lots of fun live streams on Instagram. Uh, what's yeah, your... I'm gonna. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out what my next platform is gonna be. I kind of approach the the uh, the world of internet and um, social media and basically the kind of concept of like celebrity and influencer and shit from the place of I don't encourage it. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I don't encourage it these days. It seems like you know because I put out so much crazy content and people laugh. But I'll tell you right now it's very hard to find my content on the web because I take it down. And, and the people who follow me um, know that I don't leave things up forever. I'm not running a museum of content. Yeah. So if you see somewhere um, I pop up and then I, then I go away and the, and the content goes away. So it kind of um, makes when I do think, do things uh, special in that way for the few band of delusional lunatics that do follow what i do <laughs> i love that you live stream while i'm at work so i could like oh i can watch babs right now <laughs> yeah I, I was doing a lot of live streaming and i'm gonna get i'm gonna try and do more um right now i'm kind of recalibrating it because there are so many people that are just talking heads that are youtubers and stuff and I don't want to be just one more person. So I'm doing a lot of guesting on other people's stuff, talking about stuff. I do a lot of guesting on, uh, if it's a topic that I like, I'll, I'll do guest bits on it. I mean, I'm really enjoying that. And I think that that's kind of the way that I want to go rather than feeling that I have to be on the treadmill of maintaining a YouTube presence or because it yeah. makes people crazy man it really does that would be my the, as you begin to do this i would i would say to you uh, for specifically until you escape youtube um don't let it drive you crazy uh because it can and i've seen it do it to a lot of people a lot of people i've i've had people ask they're like or you know say it's like oh man i can't wait for the next one next week i'm like no in true trauma fashion it's definitely <laughs> not gonna be next week <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly but yeah so so um yeah i kind of i kind of have that kind of thing about it right now but i'm i'm always writing and um people don't understand this but babbit bombshell is only one expression of my art so i have entire i have like three other completely different careers that i don't even really that don't cross over that are also going on at the same time so yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean so it's kind of like eh, you know it's very funny but yes i'm on instagram people can follow me on instagram i tweet sometimes but again if you have a if you have a tv show on the pair or a, a a podcast on the paranormal i'm an expert in the paranormal uh, and oddities and things like that I, I did an entire year of um four oddities from the entirety of human history for an entire year on on instagram where i covered four oddities that happened on that day globally for 
the entire history of mankind. So when you do that for an entire year, you instantaneously become an expert on everything yeah. <laughs> from all nuts falling from the skies to the paranormal to Sasquatch. So I'm always willing to talk about that stuff. That's awesome. I love that stuff. <laughs> <I know. laughs> well, cool. And everybody out there, you can follow me, Instagram, Twitter at Lego Larry. You can follow the podcast at Talk and Troma. If you want to see Return to Return to Newcomb High, Volume Two and Volume One, uh, watch uh, on Troma now. Watch.troma.com. And uh, yeah, everybody, stay traumatized.